And so it has been really exciting for Yako and I to watch John over the years. And our hearts are filled within a good way, proud of John. And what his life has become over these years. His devotion towards God and his purposes is amazing. So Father, we thank you for the great things that you have in store for John's life. Father, that you have begun a good work in him and you will bring it to completion. We open our hearts to receive a word in season, mm-hmm. like apples of silver and settings of gold. We thirst for your word, Lord God. Increase our hunger for more of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your anointing upon John as he speaks your word and that he would really just have peace and enjoy this time. Amen. Amen. Um, So I'm just going to pray and then I'll explain what I'm going to go through. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings life into our lives, that it reveals your great mysteries to us. It reveals your purpose and plan for us, Father. And I pray that your spirit would just draw us deep into what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. (laughs) Alrighty. Anyway, so um, what I will be doing for you today is actually going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, I'm going to be starting from chapter 1 and just unpacking uh, different sections for you uh, so that hopefully when you go home today or, or throughout your week, you can just have a basic understanding of, of what Ephesians says. I really feel it, it will speak to us um, as the days continue on. Um, but basically what Ephesians is about is it's just got, um, Paul's, Paul is one of the, uh, one, was one of the apostles of Christ, right? Um, he was radically uh, saved back in the first century, um, and he was actually a, a person who opposed God, right, and killed uh, God's own people, right, but Jesus encountered him, and that, con- uh, that um, actually completely changed his life, and, and, tur- and he turned to God and completely fell in love with who Jesus was, right? Um, sorry. <laughs> um, so... Basically, what Ephesians is about is just God's purpose and plan, and Paul um, is writing a letter uh, to several churches, and the letter is circulating through the Ephesus area, which is known today as modern Turkey. Um, So Paul was writing what God's plan was, what his purpose was, what his purpose was for for the people of God, and even for God's community, right? Encouraging them to to seek out this plan um, that God has for us. So that's what I'll be doing for you today. Right. Um, so, like I mentioned earlier, the writer of Ephesians is Paul, um, and I'm going to begin in Ephesians uh, 1, and I'm just going to go through. So, Ephesians 1, verse 1 uh, to 3. Oh, nice. Um, so it says, "From Paul, one King of Jesus." A lot of your translations will just say Christ. Um, originally, the uh, New Testament was written in Greek, um, and it, the Greek word for Christ is just Christos. Um, the gentleman uh, who I'm reading his translation, he just feels that uh, the words King, uh, Christ, and Messiah are just all interchangeable words. So if, if you ever hear me say King when I'm reading or Messiah, it's just Jesus, right? That's, that's all you need to know, right, from this point. But from Paul, uh, from Paul, one of King Jesus' apostles through God's purpose, to the holy ones in Ephesus who are also loyal believers, believers in King Jesus, may God our Father... And, and the Lord Jesus, the King, give you grace and peace. Let, the, let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realms. Right? So a lot of the times, Paul, what, what he will do, he'll just give a little introduction about what he's talking about, right? And, and who he is as an apostle. As we move on to, from verse 3 to 14, sorry, um, what it is, is actually Paul's praying over the community that he's writing to, or, or the communities, right? And basically what the prayer is, is, is it's God's purpose and plan unveiled through Jesus, right? He's just summarizing up pr- pretty much the whole purpose of, of God's plan from verse 3 to 14, right? So it says, 
Let us, again, I'll be reading again. Let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realms. He chose us in Him before the world was made, so as to be holy and irre- irreproachable. A lot of your translations will just say blameless, right? Before Him in love. He for, foreordained us for Himself to be adopted through the, Jesus the King. He's, that's what, how he wanted it, and that's what he gave, that gave him delight. So that the glory of his grace, the grace he poured out on us and his beloved one, might receive its due praise. In the king and through his blood we have deliverance. That is, our sins have been forgiven. Through the wealth of his grace, he has made known to us the secret, purpose, the secret of his purpose, just as he wanted it to be, set forward in him, that is Jesus. His plan was to sum up the whole cosmos, or heaven and earth, in the King, in King Jesus, right? In Him we have received the inheritance. This was so that we, who first hoped in the King, might live for the praise of His glory. Verse 13. In Him you too, who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed it. In Him you were marked out with the Spirit of promise, the Holy One. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the time when the, king, when the people who are God's special possession are finally reclaimed and freed. This too is for the praise of His glory. So basically, every time it says in him, what that basically means is God has acted for us in Christ, right? What Paul speaks of, when Paul speaks of us being in Christ, right, the, the center of what he means is that as um, back, back in that time, it, it was written may, uh, sometimes to Jewish people and a lot of the Jewish culture was uh, influenced uh, Paul's writings, right? So the Jewish thought was that the king, so any time in, in the first century when uh, when we speak of the king, the king actually represented the people. So whatever was true of the king was true of Christ, right? So when we read in him, in Christ, and whatever is true of Christ is actually true in our lives, right? Because Christ, the king, represents us. <coughs> so I'm going to go to now Ephesians 1, 4 to 10. <coughs> Sorry. And basically this section is broken up into three, three different parts. Uh, and it's, again, like I said earlier, it's a part of the prayer. So the first section of the prayer is verse 4 to 6. He chose us in him, and I'm going to be rereading the same thing again. He chose us in him, the world was made, so as to be holy and irreproachable. So again, blameless, before him in love. He for, for ordained for himself to be adopted through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it, and that's what he gave, gave him delight. So that the glory of his grace, the grace he poured out on us, in his beloved one might receive its due praise, right? So what he's saying here is that God alone has chosen us by grace, right? It's, it's, it's an undeserved grace. Everything we have received in Christ is actually undeserved, right? There's nothing we did to receive what Christ has given us, right? The second, second section is verse 7 to 10. So if many of you actually have read the Old Testament, there's the story of Exodus, right? So we all know the story of Exodus where um, Israel was enslaved by the Egyptian king Pharaoh. Um, and, Mo- and God called Moses to free uh, Israel out of slavery and then bring actually God. And then God, uh, once he freed the people from slavery, um, he said, I will give you a promised land. And that promised land was the land of Canaan, right? And Israel was led through the wilderness um, by the Spirit into the promised land, right? That's the story of, of Exodus, right? Is that God delivered them uh, from enslavement from the Egyptian king back in that time. So in verse 7 it says, In the king, through his blood, we have deliverance. Now he's actually talking about us, right? In other translation it says redemption. Redemption just means um, buying out of slavery, right? So this is the same. This is actually the same story that Paul is talking about that happened to Israel back in that time, right? That is, our sins have been forgiven through the wealth of His grace, which He lavished on us. Yes, with all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the secret of His purpose that He would He would free us from slavery through the blood of Christ, just as He wanted it to be and set forward in Him. There's a way that God actually wanted it as a blueprint for when the time was ripe. His plan was to sum up the whole cosmos, again, that's just heaven and earth, in the king. Yes, everything in heaven and on earth in him, right? So once we're saved, salvation is actually a vital stage on the way to a much larger purpose that God has for us, right? 
We are not actually chosen for our own sake. We are uh, chosen for the sake of God's purpose. During Paul's prayer here in verses 7 to 10, he's actually retelling the story of Exodus in our lives, right? The hidden hidden story is, like I said, Exodus being retold in our lives. So we're actually living... So if you read the Old Testament and you read the story of Exodus, right, and how Israel was enslaved, it's actually... um, our lives are similar like that where it says where the bible says that we are enslaved we are enslaved to sin right the power of sin israel was enslaved to the power of pharaoh right so our lives um, is much like the story of exodus where we're in this wilderness we're in this world right being led by the spirit in our lives and there's inheritance there's a land that we are called to inherit and that's god's promise to us The amazing thing about when, that I didn't actually mention about earlier is Paul's writing to this church and he's glorifying God and saying, God, God has freed us. God has set us free. But he's doing this while he's actually imprisoned. Right? So a lot of the letters that Paul, uh, some of the letters that Paul's written, he was actually in prison while he wrote them because he was so radical for his faith for God that he was actually confronting the Roman Empire and, and all the different emperors that were involved in his time that they actually were, you know, they, they had to imprison him because he was so radical against what the Roman Empire w- uh, wanted to do. He was so for the purpose of God that he was enslaved, uh, sorry, that he was imprisoned because he was so much against um, the Roman Empire. Sorry. Section 3, verses 11 to 14 um, is actually the Christian ver- version of the promised land. Right? So, like I said, in the Old Testament, it talks about how Israel was meant to inherit something. They were meant to inherit the land, right? We, too, are the, this, it's the same story. It's the same story, just now reshaped, right? We are meant to inherit something, right? So it says in verse 11, In him we have received the inheritance. We were foreordained to this, according to the intention of the one who does all things in accordance with the, the counsel of his purpose. This was so that we who first hoped in the king might exist for the praise of his glory. In him, you too, who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed it. In him, you were marked out with the spirit of promise, the, the Holy One. The spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the time when the people who are God's special people are finally reclaimed and freed. Right? This too is for the praise of his glory. Right? The basic inheritance of the Abrahamic covenant was that they were to um, build a family. Right? This is a similar concept to what we're doing today. We're trying to build this one family that God is building up. Right? And then, you know, on top of that, they were meant to inherit the land flowing with milk and honey, right? which was the land of Canaan at that time. But again, we have that same version. Right? Despite Israel's enslavement, they continue to hope for that God would bring them into the promised land. That's the same thing that we're hoping for, is that God would bring us into this promised land. Right? What Paul is actually seeing and what, what we could say today is the church is actually like Israel, living in the wilderness, being led by the Spirit and brought into the promised land, right? That's Paul is essentially is what he's saying in this letter. So what is the promised land? What is the new inheritance? I mean, I've told you already slightly, right? The inheritance, actually, if you read in Romans 4.13, it says that we are to inherit the world, right? Our inheritance is the world, Right? The inheritance is the whole, whole world in Paul's mind when it's being renewed by a fresh act of God's power and love. A vision of God's plan is, and I hope you can see this, is that God intends to flood heaven and earth together with his presence and grace. And when that happens, the whole new world uh, results in which Jesus himself is the central figure. It's to be the inheritance for which Jesus' people are longing for. Right? We are the people who are to be the signs of this glorious f- future. Right? So what God is doing right now is actually renewing our hearts and even renewing creation and bringing, bringing, him, bringing us into this new world where God's presence is forever tangible and that we can see it everywhere. Right? And the guarantee of us entering into the promised land is the Holy Spirit. Right? is that we're led by the Spirit in our lives, that we're hearing the voice of God, that we're reading what Jesus said for us to do in the Gospels and following that, right? 
when Yaakov says, what is God saying? That's, that's essentially is how we're being led, right? Is by listening to the voice of God and His Spirit and what He's saying to, for us to do. The Spirit is actually part of the promised inheritance as well. Right? Ephesians 1, 15-23 Knowing the power of the King. Because of all this, he says, and because I heard you that you are loyal and faithful to Jesus the Master, that you show your love to all God's holy people, I never stop thank, uh, giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of the King of Jesus our Lord, the, glo- the, the Father of glory, would give you in your spirit the gift of being wise, of seeing things people cannot normally see because you are coming to know him, and to have the eyes of your inmost self open to God's light. Then you will know exactly that the hope is that goes with God's call. You will know the wealth of his glory, of his inheritance in his holy people. And you will know the outstanding greatness of his power towards us, who are, the lo- who are loyal to him in faith according to the working of his strength and power. Right? So what Paul is saying, he says, the beginning of God's power working in us is indicated by our loyal and faithfulness to Jesus. The prayer of Paul from verse 15 to 19 is coming to know, right? Opening the innermost self to the light of God, right? And it's this gradual thing that happens in our lives, right? Verse 20. This was the power work in the king when God raised him from the dead and sat him at the right hand in the heavenly places over above all rule and authority and power and lordship, above every name that, it's, that gets itself talked about, both in the present age and also in the age to come. Yes, God has put all things under his feet and has given, has given him to the church as the head over all. The church is, the, is his body, is Christ's body. It is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Right? So Jesus is actually enthroned right now over heaven and earth. He is the true king. We were not given powers that, that would turn us into magicians or performers, but much of the Christian power is devoted to time and prayer, probably more in private, and hidden sins put to death. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. But much of the Christian power is devoted to time and prayer, probably more in private, and hidden sins put to death. Verse 22, where it says, God has put all things under his feet and has given him to the church as the head over all. The church is his body. It is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. So what that's saying is, is um, everything, all principalities, all governments, local magistrates, kings, princes, are all subject to King Jesus, right? Put under his feet is actually a quote, uh, quotation from Psalms 8, 8 to 6 which is the illusion of God's placing humanity above creation and bringing forth the kings and queens of the created order. That's us. That's what Paul's trying to show us, that that, that Psalms is actually saying. Right? And it's not, and it's not, it's not God, it's not Jesus is put place so that he can dictate and puppet all the governments and in, in, in stuff like that, is that if anyone confronts Jesus, they're all subject to him. They, they cannot stand against Jesus at the end of the day. Jesus is the only king, and his kingdom is the only one that's going to remain at the end of the time, I guess. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. <laughs> Warning signs on the wrong road. So where, do you come, so where do you come in it all? While you were dead because of your offenses and sins... That was the road you used to travel, keeping in step with the world's present age, in step two with the ruler of the power of air, the spirit that is even now at work among people whose whole lives consist of disobeying God. Actually, that's how all of us used to behave, conditioned by, the physical, conditioned by our physical desires. We used to do what our flesh and minds were urging us to do. What was the result? We too were subject to the wrath in our nature just like everyone else. But when it comes to mercy, God is rich. He had such great love for us that he took us at the very point we were dead throughout offenses and made us alive together with the king. Yes, you are saved by sheer grace, 
He raised us up with, his, with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places, in King Jesus. This was so that in the ages to come, he would show just how unbelievably rich his grace is, the kindness he has shown in King Jesus. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> right? Guys, if you struggle to understand the love of God, please, please read Romans 5. Right? It says, while we were enemies, and I'm not necessarily talking about us, Right? I'm just talking about people in more, more of a general sense. It says, while we were enemies, God still demonstrated his love by sending Christ to die for us. Right? So that's, that's the reality of God's love, is that you could hate him. You could promote every single thing that he hates, but his spirit could still touch you and you could still receive his love. Right? That's what Jesus says in the Gospels. Right? What is love that two people can love each other and that are good to each other. He's act, what he said is, greater is love that occurs when you hate someone, but you still give yourself in love to them. Right? That's a, that's a greater love than anything that this world can offer. Right? It's not that he died for good people. It's that people would completely re- could rebel against him and hate him. And he still loves you. He still died for you for that, very, for that very reason, right? The story my, my, one of my teachers told me, he was in a restaurant, and um, he was with his uh, pastor, the, the church that he goes to, and uh, this one girl was serving him, and um, she... I don't know how I don't really know how the conversations went, but she was they they she said she was an atheist, right? To the pastor and my teacher. <laughs> and uh, you know, and then they just started asking her about her life and so on, and then they found out that she was in a band in a band. The band was called Hail Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan. That was the name of the band, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, and as soon as my my professor said, as soon as he heard that, he had like a thousand thoughts going in his mind, like what could he say, right? And he just said, and he and before that, he even said like this girl was so nice, like like it was just crazy, right? And she's like, and then when she was talking to them, she's like, yeah, I'm a part of this band called Hail Satan, you know, because God doesn't exist, and what does it matter either way, right? That's what she said, and then she he's like. Well, how could you not? I mean, he said the most cheesiest thing. He says, how could you not believe in God because when he's working through you right now to be so nice to us, right? Like, and, and it's just that deep ignorance of promoting things that God hates, Satan himself. And what happened when he said that? She said she got on her knees and just started weeping in front of him, right? That's the reality of God's love. He said you could hate him. He could still touch you and that would completely transform your life. Ephesians 2. <laughs> I can't see right now. Sorry. Verse 2. The, that, that was the road that you used to travel, keeping in step with the world's present age, and step 2 with the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, that is even now at work among the people who, whose whole lives consist of disobeying God. There are actually forces drawing you and luring your way, trying to keep you in the wrong direction. Right? The present age is the way the world is, how God, is not how God intended it. What seems right, especially to those who are simply going with the flow with the world around them, actually isn't. Right? The rule of the power of the air is, is a way of actually referring to Satan, right? There's just other um, scriptures that I can maybe give to you after to help bring clarity on that, right? And, he's, and his ideas are to deface God's beautiful creation, Right? It's something in the, the, the atmosphere that almost tries to rule us and, and, and encourage us to, you know, to seek certain things right? that, like, that overthrow what God really intended at the end of the day. Right? And it doesn't come like a loud symbol like, I'm bad, I'm bad. You know, it comes like a whisper saying, oh, that might be good. You know, that might be good. Try that. You know, try that. You know, it's a very subtle thing right? that we're not really aware of. The pr- The present reality 
of human behaviors is it leads to death. And the reality of what it means to be human. But for all those who are in him, referring back to now chapter 1, whatever is true of Christ is true of us. Right. Jesus was actually the example of what it means to be human, right? It wasn't that he was some superhuman being, right? It's, this is how God intended humans to be, to love, to be kind, to forgive, to have grace and mercy towards one another, right? But to live a life honoring to God, right? We are created in his image, right? There's an image that essentially we bear in our lives in, in, in how humans, you know, are meant to live, Right? And Christ was that, that example of the true image of God. How are we doing? Are we okay so far? How am I doing? Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Sorry, Brenda, if I'm going all over the place. Grace and not works. How is it this all come about? You have been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative. It's God's gift. It's on, it's, it isn't on the basis of works. So no one is able to boast. This is the explanation. God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for the good works that he prepared ahead of time as the road we must travel. Again, the enrichment of God's grace is that it gives life. It is undeserved. It is free. Right? When Paul says good works, there are two ways to interpret it. The way that God intended human beings to live, or just a specific and particular, uh, particular purpose each, indi- excuse me, each individual person has. He refers to that later on in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 2, 11 and 16. So then, remember this in human terms, that is your flesh. You are Gentiles. Back then, Gentiles were just non-Jews, Right? There was the, the, really what the world was broken into is there was the Jewish people, and at least around, at least around the Jesus. But there was the Jewish people, and then there was the Gentiles, right? So there was just again Jewish people and not Jews. So when you first to Gentiles, you were referring to people who are not Jews. You are the people who the so-called circumcision referred to as the so-called uncircumcision. uncircumcision. Circumcision of, of course, being something done by human hands to human flesh. Well, once upon a time, you were separated from the king. You were detached from the community of Israel. Really, he's just saying the family of God. You were foreigners to the covenants which contain the promise. You had no hope. You had no God. You were stranded in the world. He's kind of referring to us, right? But now in King Jesus, you have been brought into the king's blood. Yes, you who used to be long away. He is our peace, you see. He has made us two to be one. He has pulled us down. He has pulled down the barrier, the dividing wall that turns into the enemies of each other. He has done this in his flesh. By abolishing the law with its commands and instructions, the point of doing all this was to create in him a one new human being out of two, so making peace. God was reconciling both of us to himself in a single body through the cross by killing the nemnity in him, right? So there's just a dividing between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And the temple of God, there was a wall going, going around it that only from, excuse me, there was a wall going around it where, you, where the people could enter, enter into the presence of God and only really the Jews were allowed to enter into that what Paul is saying is that barrier has now been broken, right? All people can enter in, right? That's, that's, almost, like, that's almost a sermon for, you know, if you, if you feel like you have a wall and you're trying to reach someone, right? God has broken the anonymity. That does create that wall between two people's lives, right? If you just turn to Jesus and ask for his wisdom and the encouragement of his spirit to really create unity with the, pe- with the people that you're struggling to maybe bond with, right? Because Jesus actually broken that anonymity that creates, creates that, or that wall that cre- creates that. Does that make sense? Okay. This is amazing. Ephesians 2, 17 to 22, the unveiling of the new temple. 
So the Messiah came and gave the good news. Peace had come. Peace, that is, for those who were a long way away, and peace to for those who were close at hand. Through him, you see, we have both access to the Father and one spirit. This is the result. You're no longer foreigners or strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's holy people. You are members of God's household. You are built on the foundations of the apostles, the prophets, with King Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Yes, you are being built up together in him into a place where God will live by his spirit. So back then... A a temple was constructed in Solomon's time. And then it was destroyed and a second one was rebuilt. And then Jesus says that, Jesus actually prophesied that that temple would be destroyed and it was destroyed in, in 70 AD by the Romans. Right? Because, yeah. So, the, so actually God is saying he's constructing a new temple, right? Because the temple be, was believed where the, the presence of the living God would live, right? Because that's what Yahweh or God of the Old Testament said, I will live in the temple, right? That was his promise. But God destroyed the actual physical temple that people built, right? And God is saying, no, I'm constructing a new temple. That is, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. The accomplishment of the new temple of God is in, is in and through King Jesus. Now the presence of the living God is seeking to find a place to live in a temple where the people of God are gathering together. Not in constructed buildings. Right? Not in the church. The living presence of God is not here because of this building. It's here because we have gathered together, right? That's a, that's a, a radical concept in that time. To say that your temple that, that God himself promised he would be in, is, he's no longer there. He's here where his people are gathering, right? The, the temple represented the heart of Jerusalem. All political, social, musical, cultural aspects. This was the place of celebrating and feasting. Why? Because the presence of the living God was there. Because the promise was that he would live in the temple. This is the place, back then, they believed that the temple of God was where heaven and earth met. That was the belief that they had. Right? There's a new temple that God is constructing. This This temple consists of human beings. Paul was the first to bring this into light. Right? So even if you're going to the restaurant and gather, and, and we're going out together, and we gather at the restaurant together, that's, that's where the church is. That's where the presence of the living God is. Not just here, right? I was talking to a girl at work, and she was telling me about what she believes in God and stuff like that, and she was saying, you know, me going to church, to the, obviously when she says church, she was referring to the building, right? She's like, she was saying, you know, me going to church on Sunday to the building you know, doesn't define my relationship with God. And I said, absolutely, yes. I didn't tell her this, but what Paul is saying is that what defines is, is you gathering with God's people. Right? That's where the church is. When Jesus even said church in Matthew, uh, Matthew I think it's 16, he says, I will build my church on the living, living Christ. Right? It was not the same concept. The Greek word for church was ecclesia, which means called out ones. It just meant gathering people. Church became, the church building concept became something only in the 4th century. We're talking about 200 years down the line, right? Only when the Christianity came into the Roman Empire where wealth started you know, being a part of Christianity that they said, let's construct buildings, right? But really, originally, Christ is saying, I will build my church. I will gather my people. That's where the temple will be. That's where church will be, wherever God gathers his people. You know, the living God, N.T. Wright, the book, the commentary that I was reading on Ephesians says, the living God was now seeking to make his home in the hearts and lives, particularly the communities that had declared their loyalty to Jesus and were determined to live by the gospel. Only when God's people are gathered together Will he take delight in making himself a home in the people's hearts? 
What other racial, cultural differences must we overcome today if the beautiful temple is to be built in a way honoring to God, or to one of God of all the to the one God of all the world? Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. God's secret plan unveiled. Am I good? Five minutes? Shoot. Okay. I'll skip that. Okay, I'll start here. Oh, shoot. No. Keep going? Are you, are you guys okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I won't be offended if you leave. Quick story. I was on the phone with my dad, and uh, I was just telling him how I wanted to tell people, listen, this is my preach. This is how long it's going to be. I won't be offended if you leave. But if you do want to, if you are thinking you're going to leave, please just sit at the back. And then my, and my dad said, but what if everyone shifts to the back? <laughs> I'm like, that's a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. Thank you, guys. It's because of all this that I, Paul, the prisoner of King Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, essentially us, I'm assuming by the way that you've heard about the plan of God's grace that you, that was given to me to pass on to you, you know the secret purpose that God revealed to us as I wrote, wrote, wrote? Yeah. Briefly just now. Anyway, when you read this, he literally says that. You'll be able to understand the special insight I have into the king's secret. This wasn't made known to human beings in previous generations, but is now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Right? That, that the, 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 the secret plan unveiled was that the original promise was to Israel, but if yeah, you actually you see it, the plan of God was that his whole creation would be involved, right? And this is his secret plan that Paul is just telling us now that is unveiled, is that both everyone who believes in Jesus is incorporated into the plan of God, into the family of Christ. The bringing in of the Gentiles into fellowship with God himself through Jesus the Messiah, who is the world's true Lord, from which the people of God will be kings and queens over creation. That's what Romans 5.17 says. And that's just an expansion of God's plan unveiled. Wisdom for the rulers. I am the very least of God's people. However, that's what Paul's saying. He gave this task as a gift that I should be the one to tell the good news of the king's wealth. Wealth no one could begin to count. My job is to make clear to everyone just what the secret plan is. The purpose that's been hidden from the beginning of the world and God who created all things. This is it. God, that God's wisdom in all his rich variety was to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What he's just saying is actually in heaven and on earth through the church. This was God's eternal purpose and he's accomplished it in King Jesus our Lord. We have confidence and access to God in him in full assurance through his faithfulness. Many of our translations say our faith in him. So I beg you, don't lose heart because of my sufferings on your behalf. He's just saying I'm in prison, right? There's more to it than me being in prison. The wisdom is to be, so the wisdom of God is to be made known among God's people. Among God's people. The present heart of the message is this, that all rulers and authorities, so really governments and all that stuff today, are to be confronted by God's wisdom, which, ha- which is to happen through the church. Multifaceted or manifold, as many of what your translations say, meaning just all different cultures, social backgrounds that God has brought together, right, are to, to confront the church. 
What Paul is actually saying is that the church is to show the world how human beings are meant to uh, live and to show the governments and everything else this is how human beings should live, right? Because we have the imputed wisdom of God. There is a different way to be human. The king's wealth just means the new way of life. It's not this cash, money, riches, right? The, the, the king's wealth is, again, just the life that Jesus offers us, the life that we live for Jesus and the, the example of the life that we live from Jesus, right? The central treasures to what we have is that we have access to God himself, we have confidence and access to God. The heavenly throne room has been opened to us by Jesus. Paul is suffering and imprisoned because he is challenging the society around him by which is opposing a threat to the world. Right? Ephesians 3, 14-21, God's love and God's power in us. Because of this, I'm kneeling down before the Father. This is how we know he's praying again the one who gives the name of the family to every family that there is in heaven and on earth. My prayer is this, that you will lay out all the riches of his glory to, that he, sorry, he will lay out all the riches of his glory to give you strength and power through his spirit in your inner being, that God, that the king may make his home in your hearts through faith, that love may be your root and your firm foundation, that you may be strong enough with, God, with all God's holy ones to grasp the breadth length and height and depth and to know the king's love though actually it's so deep that nobody can really know it right again many of your translations say surpasses knowledge so God may fill you with all his fullness so too that the one who is capable of doing far far more than we can ask or imagine granted his power which is working in us to him be glory in the church and in king Jesus to all generations and to the ages of ages amen the effective actions of God's kingdom come through prayer, which undoubtedly unleashes both the power and love of God flowing through the person, which in turn grows the person more into God. Paul is actually praying on behalf of the young community. The, the, the communities that he're, he's talking to is a young church that is growing in God, Right? to discover that the heart of what it means to be Christian, it means knowing God as the all-loving, all-powerful Father. It means putting down roots in love. There's a deep and powerful knowing for Christians to enter into. This deep knowing became reality. This deep knowing became a reality for Paul. And, it want, and he wants it to be known for all those who put their faith in Jesus. Paul speaks far often of Christians being in Christ than of Christ being in Christians. It's important to see our individual experience within the larger picture of our membership in God's plan in the Messiah within the worldwide plan Paul has been talking about in the last three chapters. Right? So what, he, what he's basically saying there is it's not this individual experience that we have to now walk alone or that we should walk alone. He's saying that if you are in Christ, you are in his family, right? It's not an individual experience, but more of a corporate family experience that grows together in God. You cannot do it by yourself. Ephesians 4, 1 to 10, we're almost there. Live up to your calling. So then, this is my appeal to you. Yes, it's me, the prisoner in the Lord. You must live up to the calling you received. Bear with one another in love. Be humble, meek and patient with each other in all your thinking. Make every effort to guard the unity that the Spirit gives. With your lives bound together in peace. There is only one body, one Spirit. You were, after all, called to a, one, to a single hope, which gives with your call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I apologize for the length. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure the king used when he was distributing gifts. That's why it says in Psalm 68, when he went up on high, he led bondage into itself into bondage and he gave gifts to people, right? 
some some people believe that that's Moses, but Paul is kind of believing that that reference of Psalm 68:18 is is Jesus going up, receiving the Spirit, and then coming down and giving the gifts, right? And Paul's going to explain to us a little later what those gifts are. When it says that he went up, what this means is that he also came down into the lower places, that is the earth. The one who came down is the one who also went up, yes, above all heavens, so that he might fill all things. This begins the instructions of living up to the Christian call in life. There are three basic elements. Follow the king, recognize the grace given to us to play our part, make every effort to guard unity in the church. When Paul talks about the call, what is it? He's actually referring to the, he's referring to the basic call of the gospel, which is recognizing that Jesus is Lord, king over the earth, and we are to give him our complete allegiance for the rest of our lives. The call means in every situation, in every complete loyalty to Jesus, Sorry, the call means in every situation, give complete loyalty to Jesus. God unity because there is one, there is a oneness that God is calling. Ephesians, cut it off. Oh. I got two more things, that's it. Sorry guys. Thank you for... Uh. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, grown up Christianity... So these are the gifts that he gave. Now we're talking about the gifts that Christ gave to us. Some were to be apostles, others prophets, others evangelists, others pastors and teachers. This job is to give God's people the equipment they need for their work and service so as to build up the king's body. The purpose of this is that we should all reach unity in belief and loyalty in knowing God's Son. Then we, ha- then we shall have a mature and genuine human life measured by standards of the king's fullness. As a result... We won't be babies any longer. We won't be thrown this way and that on the stormy sea, blown by every gust of teaching, by human tricksters, by their cunning and deceitful scheming. Instead, we must speak the truth in love and so grow up in everything into him that is into the king, who is the head. He supplies the growth the whole body needs. Linked as it is and held together by the joint which supports it with each member doing its own proper work, then the body itself then the body builds itself up in love. Once someone has come to know the power and presence of the risen Lord, then maturity will come swiftly. How does this happen through the dif- how does this happen through the gifting through the different giftings that Christ has given his church? Evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers. Christians are to called to grow up to the point where they can recognize all these things that lure us away from the church and from God and from Jesus. The purpose of the gifts is so that everyone can reach maturity. Right? But the church isn't placed for the prophet, but rather the prophet for the church or the teacher for the church. It's not the other way around. The teacher, the, like the church, isn't the specialized ground for the teacher. Rather, the the teacher is specialized for the church. Jesus, Messiah, has shown us what it genuinely means to be humans. In our maturity, that what Paul is talking about now, we will be able to speak the truth in love. So, what he's saying is that once we know know the presence and power of Jesus, maturity will come swiftly, and in that maturity, we will speak the truth in love. That comes with maturity. Speaking specifically, when he's saying about truths and other matters, he's actually speaking about Christian matters and doctrines. I hate to make this academic. Paul is envisioning the body growing up into Christ. The main point of the different offices within the church is so the whole body of Christ grows into maturity. Okay, this is where I'm finishing. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Off with the old, on with the new. So this is what I want to say. I'm bearing witness to, to it in the Lord. You must no longer behave like the Gentiles, foolish-minded as they are. Their understanding is darkened. They are cut off from God's life because of their deep-seated ignorance, which springs from the fact that their hearts are hard. They have lost all moral sensitivity and given themselves over to whatever t- tickles their fancies. I added that. Um, they go off greedily after every kind of uncleanness. I don't really like that word, but anyways. But that's not how you've learned the king. 
you indeed, if you indeed hear about him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth about Jesus himself, the teach, the teacher, the te- that teaching stressed you should take off your former lifestyle, the old humanity, right? The old, the old way that people think that humans beings should be, right? The way of life is decaying as a result of deceitful lust. Instead, you must be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you must put on the new humanity, which is being created the God, the way God intended it, displaying justice and genuine holiness. The foolish minded can never be changed only through the renewing of the spirit. It is only if you're it is only through the spirit that someone can really change, right? Not the fact that you state like you should do this. That they're not they're never going to change if you if even if you say those words. What really is going to change is if the spirit touches them and renews their mind. Only through the renewing of the mind by the spirit can we see genuine behavior change. The hard heart blinds an individual to thinking what really is right and what is wrong. Anything goes. Genuine Christianity actually unfolds deeper and deeper truths about creation and, and man. The point being made is not that we should not be deceived by the lusts and greed, but recognize that everything stems from the heart and the mind. This is where Jesus said, um, sorry, Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, but it does, but it does not enter his heart but his stomach and then goes out into the sewer? He said, what comes out of person defiles him. So he's saying it's not the atmosphere around him that actually changes and shapes the person. It's actually what's within him is where that really came from when a person uh, acts a certain way. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the secret. If the heart is right, it's time to get the mind right. Then you'll have the energy and willpower to bring the behavior into line. Off with the old and on with the new. So back in the first century, what they did is when baptism, right, because this is the sign of off with the old and on with the new, right, is the person, when the people would enter into the water, they would enter into the water with their clothes, right? Um... And then when they came out, they were actually given a new pair of clothes, right? To symbolize that this is a new this and there's a new way that I'm going to live because of what I've dedicated in my life to. That's it. Pray. Right.